Anybody else excited to see tulips coming up? Anybody? Tulips, daffodils, uh, all kinds of little critters are coming up through the dirt. And I'm super excited about that. I'm a Dutchman, and so I love to see the tulips come up. But I just love the fact that spring is coming. And, you know, I think about my bulbs. I'm, I'm not the guy that digs them out in, in, you know, in, the fall, in the summer and plant them in the fall. I leave them in there. I say, hey, if you're going to survive, you'll make it. If not, I'll get some new bulbs, right? So they've been buried in the ground. They've been there since, like, November. Um, and maybe, like me, you leave them in there as well. And now they're emerging. They're coming through the dirt. There they are. Those are my very uh, tulips. And I took that picture just a couple days ago. So they're emerging through the dirt and whatever else happens to be lying in my gardens, right? And I don't know if you know this, but the best dirt has a little poo in it. That's a church-sanctified word. I can say that. Um, So they have to push through the poo as well in order to come up. Uh, Because it's the poo of life that gives them strength, that gives them nutrients, that makes them healthy and strong. How many of you know that's true? It's the poo that makes you strong and healthy. So also, when my tulips came up, they were up a few weeks ago, and we had a couple freezes since then. Even this morning, it was a frozen morning. And so they come up, and they face this environment that's not really friendly, right, to the tulips. It's a little bit of a a harsh environment to come into the world and experience. It's freezing at night. So not only do they have to endure the poo that they push through, but they also have to endure the harsh climate that they come into for a few weeks after they come through. But if they push through and if they endure, they will thrive. They will thrive and they will come forth with some beautiful, beautiful flowers and they will grow and grow until they're just gorgeous tulips in my garden. But here's what I want to say today about this, that even though they have beautiful flowers and even though we love that about the tulips, what I want to say to you is that that's not the most important part of their life. I don't know if you know what the most important part of the life cycle of a tulip and other plants is, but it's actually happening underneath the ground. It's actually happening underneath the surface where they are being multiplied, where they are growing into more and more and more bulbs. And I just have a little news for you this morning that we are all growing through the dirt of life. You know this? We are all growing. We're all pushing through. And trials that we face in our life those are the poo of life. It's, it's the necessary evil that God allows in our life. It's the fertilizer of our life that makes us strong and helps us grow and produce. The very trials that we face, under the surface, these trials make us strong and they make us productive. You know, for 12 years, Gwen and I lived on Bennett Road in Mount Vernon, right across from the river. So we were on the tulip run. If you've ever been there for the tulips, we were on the route that people would bike on and run on to get to the tulip fields. And we love the flowers, you know, and we'd go out there and look at the flowers like many of you. How many of you have been to the Mount Vernon Skagit Valley flower fields? It's gorgeous. It's really gorgeous. Daffodils and tulips. But they don't grow them mainly for the flowers. Although the flowers are beautiful and they sell some flowers At the end of the season, they're going to cut the tops off, right? If you've been there late, you've seen topless daffodils and topless tulips, you know. It's not for the flowers that we love the most. It's for the bulbs. The bulbs is where the money is. And these bulbs are harvested and shipped all over the world, right from Skagit Valley. I was in Holland a few years ago, and I was in the famous floating flower, uh, you know, nursery that they have there. Say that ten times really fast. And I was looking at all these bulbs 
that Holland produces for tulips and other flowers. And there in the middle of all these bulbs was a package from Skagit Valley, Washington. In the tulip capital of the world, there was a package of tulip bulbs from Skagit Valley. And I just thought that's pretty remarkable. You know, so it's the dirt and the poo and the harsh conditions that we face in life that we call trials. We call them trials. These are the best growing conditions for us. This is what we must push through to become strong and become hardy and produce great beauty in our lives, but also produce the bulbs of, of productivity and the bulbs of, of multiplying our lives so that others benefit from our lives as well. So it's a matter of, you know, not that we're going to have trials. We're going to have them. It's a matter of when they're going to come up, and it's a matter of what they're going to be, isn't it? It's a matter of when they come and what they're going to be. Uh, I don't know about you, but I've gotten used to trials. They're the norm of my life. Uh, I take hits almost every day, and I identify with Christ in many of those hits, and I expect trials. And being ready doesn't make them hurt any less. That's what I want to say to you. This is not a message on denial this morning. So being ready for trials does not make them hurt any less, but it can help us respond better when we're hit with a trial. How many of you know that when we're hit with a trial, then sometimes we hurt the people or the thing that hit us, right? We hurt them back. And that's not the point of the trials. So Peter writes, if you want to open your Bible today, 1 Peter 4, starting in verse 12. We'll also have it on the screen behind me. Peter writes, Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you're going through as if something strange were happening to you. So that's number one in your notes today. Focus faith expects fiery trials to come. I would rephrase this for Peter. I would say, be surprised when you don't have a trial. Look at your life and say, what am I doing wrong? There's no trial. Life's too smooth. I must not be living for the kingdom. There's no trial. You know what I'm saying? It's strange in our life when we don't have a trial. But when you're ready for the trials, then you can respond in faith When you're not ready for the trials, then oftentimes we respond in fear, not faith. So you want to respond in faith, not fear. Now, I'm a processor, so it takes me a while to work through the trial and discover just exactly what it is that the Lord's doing and, and how I should respond. It takes me some time because I'm a processor, so I've learned that I need to prayerfully process when trials come. It's not good when I open my mouth and say too much right away. I can do some damage when I do that. And so I ask the question when I process, Lord, what is your will for this trial? What are you doing in my life through this trial? What are you doing in the lives of others? Because it's not just about me. So what are you doing in the lives of others? How can I speak truth into this trial the best of my ability and bring something good to somebody else and to get the wisdom of others, but also give some wisdom if I can? You know, you got to remember that God allows trials. We said a few weeks ago that it's his sovereign will that trials come up in our lives, that suffering happens in our lives. And he even allowed Jesus to be tempted. And so I believe, and I think this is the healthiest view of trials, I believe that God is doing something in us all the time through the trials that we face in our life. He's making us strong. He's making us fruitful. Oftentimes all that is happening underground where you can't see it. But one day, it's going to be worth a lot. 
One day you're going to be able to gather those bulbs that God has been multiplying in your life under the ground and God will use them for His glory and for His honor. We all want the flowers, don't we? We all want the flowers, but God is mostly concerned about the bulbs that are under the ground. So don't be surprised and don't let it shake your faith, but trust in God. The point of the trial is to trust. That's what God wants from us. He wants our trust. So I don't care what the trial is. It doesn't matter what it is you're facing. It doesn't matter the timing of it. None of that. What really matters is what we do with the trial, and God wants us to trust in the trial. It may get you a day or two to get there, but here's what you need to know. If he allowed it, and you're living for his will, best you can, then he's going to meet you in it. We sang about that this morning. God's going to meet you in the trial. So here's what I believe about trials. I think trials are normal for everybody that's ever born on the earth, but I think they're even more normal and more intense when you walk with Christ. The reason I believe that is because we have an enemy of our soul who's trying to take us down and take us out. And when you receive Christ, you are now at war with the opposer of God. The one who opposes our creator becomes your enemy and he will stop at nothing to bring you down. Having Christ in your life is a target on your back to draw the fire of the enemy. Talk about this in Ephesians 6. Right? And he'll stop at nothing. He'll even target your family. And we wrestle with these principalities and powers. You know, uh, a weekend ago we watched this movie called Pilgrim's Progress. And it was a little bit scary. I got to admit, I was a little bit scared. Even though it was in cartoon, it had scary people, it had scary demons, it had a scary Satan. And all of these scary things were at work to keep Christian and his friend faithful away from the celestial city, away from the kingdom of God. They were there to, to drive them off the, off the path or to kill them if they could. And while it was scary, I would also say to you that that's life. That is real life. There's an enemy of your soul called Satan and his demons that is out to destroy your life and the lives of your children. And the sooner you can have that conversation with your kids, the better. I was talking with Sandra Bennett after the movie, and she had posted that, you know, the movie was scary, but it gave her a bunch of opportunities to talk with her six-year-old child about the reality of the battle that we're in. And I appreciated that. So here's what the Bible says. Uh, next week, I think we're going to be in this passage. It says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Devil wants to eat you up alive. That's what he wants to do. And then Jesus said, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. So when you think about trials, don't limit your thinking to just adults. Realize that Satan is after children a full-on frontal attack of our children. That's who he's after as well. And he doesn't care how young you are. He doesn't care if it's a PG or PG-13 or R-rated attack or an X-rated attack. He doesn't care. He does not care. He just wants to destroy. He has no boundaries when it comes to age. And we need to understand that there really is an enemy of our children's souls who wants to destroy our children. You know, if you remember in Jesus' life, you know, Jesus was very, very young when he had to flee to Egypt 
with his parents because Herod, under the inspiration of Satan, was killing everybody under two years old. This is not a new story. This is an old story, right? So Jesus had to flee to Egypt you know, just two generations or three generations ago, my own family had to face satanic attack through Nazi Germany as they lived in Holland, and Holland was occupied by the enemy. Let me give you a couple more examples if I've not convinced you yet. In my lifetime, between 1970, yes, I'm that old, and today, Satan has inspired the reported killing of more than 54 million babies in the U.S., And the numbers are probably higher. Those are the reported numbers, according to Guttmacher Institute. Our children are under direct attack of the enemy. And then just so that, because I know you came and you wanted to feel good about this morning, let me add the sex industry. Okay, let me me just paint it as dark as it is. The sex industry. This is what Satan is after now. He's doing it through media. We have never seen it as bad as it is today with media, social media. By the way, just let me mention that we have a new group starting up. One of the dads in our church is starting a group for some young men and maybe their dads to get together and and talk about and become educated about the pornography industry and how to fight back. So that's going to be happening. If you're interested in that, let me know. I'll hook you up, okay? So speaking of education, what about how the state now wants to force their values and morals on our kids in the public school? And I'm telling you, this is what's going to happen if if the sex ed bill passes. And so I hope that if you care about that, whether or not your kids go to public school, home school, Christian school, doesn't matter. There are kids. So if that matters to you, pick up the phone and call your legislator and let them know how you feel about that. It's our job as parents to protect our kids and to influence our children. And the most central part of our children is the same thing that's the most central part of us, and that is our sexuality and our sexual identity. And so we need to step in. We need to get active. We need to not stand for what the world wants to do and what Satan wants to do through our world. So when you think about the soil that you're growing through and the poo that we grow through, this is some of the stinky stuff that we're dealing with as a culture today. And the church is dealing with it as well. But this same stuff that we grow through makes us strong and beautiful and productive if we will have focused faith. If we will let Jesus use us in our culture today. And then if we do, the bulbs get multiplied. We become productive and fruitful. But also these beautiful flowers appear in our lives as well. This this beauty that comes, beauty for ashes, that comes as we allow God to grow us up through the dirt of life and how we respond to these trials. Peter goes on to say in 13, he says, be very glad. That's the beauty that comes. He says, be very glad for these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it's revealed to all the world. That's number two in your notes this morning. Focused faith responds with gladness because trials make us partners with Christ. Trials make us partners with Christ. And Peter says that's something to be glad about. He said it's a good thing to be a a partner with Christ. And the way you become a partner with Christ is going through trials and identifying with him through those trials. Just let me state the obvious. Without focused faith, trials bring us down. 
right? Would you agree with that? Without focused faith, trials bring us down. They make us discouraged. They make us feel hopeless. But focused faith keeps our faith focused on the end result, which is being a partner with Christ in his suffering. And the outcome is glory. The outcome is the wonderful, the wonderful glory of seeing his win through this trial that we're in. You know, last Saturday, not yesterday, but last Saturday, I watched the Gonzaga BYU game. Anybody else like basketball? Am I alone here? While I listened to Lyndon in my ear uh, win the district tournament and talk about a bipolar experience. I mean, this was incredible as I love Gonzaga, so I'm a Zags fan. And so I'm listening to Lyndon win and I'm watching the Zags lose horribly in this game. And I was thinking to myself as I was watching them lose because March Madness is coming where it really matters. And I was thinking to myself, you know, maybe a loss is just what the Zags need. Maybe a trial is just what they need to get them ready for the dance, to get them ready for the big game, to get them ready for what really matters, the national championship. And I found myself thinking about trials, and I was thinking to myself, you know, isn't it sometimes good that we face trials and we have to struggle with something because it's getting us ready to struggle for something that's going to mean even more, possibly, than the trial that we're in. And so I think trials get us ready for what's next. And you got to remember, when you lose a big game, like the Zags did, when you lose a big game, you have to keep your head up. If you let your head go down, you're going to lose the next game. So you got to let Jesus keep your head up, even though you feel like maybe you haven't done really well in a trial. Let him lift up your head and remember that you're seated in the heavenlies with Jesus. That's your spiritual condition. Your, your position is you're seated in the heavenlies with Jesus. And so you got to remember that even though you go through a trial where it feels like you suffered loss, and I've had some of those in the last few months, where it feels like you suffer loss, that you realize you're seated with Jesus in the heavenlies, and so there is gain in your life. And you keep your head up because the next trial's coming. And Jesus wants you to win the next trial. Amen? So that's what God wants with us. Remember, you're partners with Christ. So the key to winning over trials, here it is. Here's the key. The key is within the trial to identify with Christ. Identify with Christ. Choose to place your heart's and your identity in him and remember what he suffered and connect with him through that suffering and even say the words jesus i know you suffered like this i'm going to connect with you because i know you get me i know you understand me and i'm going to connect with your suffering through this trial i'm going to tell you what happens is that your your focus changes and now you begin to identify and partner with christ instead of just being down about the trial does that make sense? It changes everything for us if we'll do this. And you do this through a simple act of your will. You simply say and pray, Lord Jesus, I'm going to connect with you through this trial. I'm going to identify with you. As a Christian, you can assume there is an attack involved. Now, I don't know that for sure, but you can assume that there was. In every trial you face, you can assume the enemy had some hand in it. So realize that you have the same attacker that Jesus had. And so you can identify with your Lord even in the attacker. You have the same enemy. So you identify with him. 
Peter goes on and says in verse 14, If you're insulted because you bear the name of Christ, you will be blessed, for the glorious Spirit of God rests upon you. That is so powerful. I have to read that again. Listen to this powerful truth. If you're insulted or go through a trial because you bear the name of Christ, you're a Christian, you will be blessed, for the glorious Spirit of God rests upon you. Let me say something else about trials this morning. This is true. It's so true. Trials make space for the glorious presence of God to rest upon you. Trials make space for the presence of God. Trials make space. They expand you to invite the presence of God to meet you at a place where you would have never before if the trial hadn't been there. So trials open you up to receive the glorious spirit of God resting upon you. Let me say it like this. God gets bigger in your life because of trials. But it all has to do with how you respond in the trial. Do you invite the Holy Spirit to rest in glory upon you through the trial? Or do you let it knock you down and, you know, and, and kick you around? What do you do with the trial that you go through? Again, we're not talking about trial denial. We're not talking about not being honest about the hurt or the pain that you go through. But what we're talking about is that it gives you an opportunity to become dependent on God and invite His glorious presence to rest upon you. Our trials make us needy for Him. David said in Psalm 75, But as for me, I am poor and needy. Please hurry to my aid, O God. You are my helper and my Savior. Lord, do not delay. So here's what I think about trials. I think that trials help us turn to God. If we never had a trial, we'd probably never turn. And that's exactly what God wants. God wants us to turn to Him in our trials. But we've got to be suffering for the right reasons. You know, some trials we just bring upon ourselves. It's our own stupidity. It's our own selfishness. It's our own decisions and choices we make with our lives and we bring trials upon ourselves sometimes and our suffering is just our own foolishness then right and peter's not talking about these in fact he says in verse 15 if you suffer however it must not be for stupidity murder stealing making trouble or prying into other people's affairs that pretty much covers it all there doesn't it but it's no shame to suffer for being a Christian. So Peter makes a distinction. There's, there's different kinds of sufferings. There's the sufferings you invite because of our own selfishness and stupidity. But then there's the sufferings that come because of our identification with Christ. And those are the ones, he says, you can connect with Christ through. Now, now Jesus can help you through any suffering, even the ones that you cause, right? And we call that uh, repentance and confession, to invite his presence to cleanse us and help us. But a lot of this stuff sometimes we bring on ourselves. So here's what I believe as a Christian. I believe that every trial becomes an opportunity to identify with Christ, to enter in to his suffering. There are no wasted trials unless we waste them. Every week in my office I hear stories or on my social media, I get contacted from people struggling with marriage, trials in our marriages, people struggling with their children, people reaching out for help with their teenagers, people hurting each other in relationships. Almost every week I hear something about that. 
You know, we had three people in surgery last week. We had a toddler down at Children's. We had some severe accidents and severe, some severe injuries that happened last week. Matt lost his brother. Kent and Mike lost their dad and brother. Shiloh and Jazz lost their beloved Beppa. And, and the list goes on. There's trials aplenty. Trials aplenty. Not a week goes by that there aren't trials. But here's the thing. In all of these trials, we can either suffer alone or we can invite Jesus to meet us in our trial. We can say, Jesus, we know that you suffered all these things and more. We know that you understand the impact of the curse of sin on this planet like nobody else. And so, Jesus, I can trust you in this trial. I can trust you because I know that you understand. And your word says that when I approach your throne, you're going to meet, with, meet, meet me with mercy and grace. That's how you're going to meet me. And so I can trust you in my trial. I acknowledge, Jesus, that there's an enemy of my soul who's trying to bring me down like he tried to bring you down. And, Jesus, I acknowledge that as part of the family of God, I know there's an enemy who's trying to turn us against each other, trying to hurt us from within. And, Lord Jesus, I don't want to participate with that, so help me not do that. But to go through the trial in a way that honors Christ and what he has done for us. And so I closed with a verse that meant so much to me this last couple weeks. It's this last verse. I'm going to skip 17 and 18 and go right to 19. Beautiful verse. This is our response in the midst of trials. Here it is right here. He lays it out. He says, So, if you are suffering in a manner that pleases God, keep on doing what is right. And trust your lives to the God who created you, for he will never fail you. You know, what that says to me is that how we suffer matters. How we suffer matters. There's a good way to suffer and there's a not so good way to suffer. And so I believe that there is a way that we can suffer that is in a manner that pleases God. Peter said, if you're suffering in a manner that pleases God, what would that be? Well, here's just a couple of rules and guidelines for us that are in the Bible as we go through trials, especially relationship-oriented trials. It says, forgive like he forgave us. There's one guideline for suffering in a manner that pleases God. Forgive like he forgave us. Pray for those who persecute you. There's an idea. You know, pray for those who persecute you, for those who are bringing the suffering. Don't repay evil with evil. Like, don't retaliate. Don't get back at them for what they did to you. Even though it may seem justified. Don't do it. And don't gossip or slander those who hurt you. So suffer in a manner that pleases God. This brings us to number three, our last point today. Trust God in the trial and keep doing what is right. That became my mantra the last couple of weeks. Trust God in the trial and keep doing what is right. Keep doing what is right. This word trust in this passage here really means to entrust. Entrust. To entrust our very soul to our creator, the one that knows us better than anybody else, to entrust ourselves to God. And what is our soul? 
What is our soul? How do we entrust our soul to God? Well, our soul is our emotions. So our feelings, or your one feeling, if you're like me. You know, entrust your feelings to your Creator, the one who made you, the one who knows you. Entrust your soul. Entrust your thoughts right here. What You know, we tend to create stories in our mind over the things that we go through in life, over the trials. And Peter's saying, you know, no, entrust those thoughts to God. Let God give you better input than what you can come up with. You know, we can all turn a yellow card into a red card and disqualify people from our lives. And really what God wants us to do is to receive his thoughts. What are his thoughts for us, right? Our thoughts. And then finally, the third part of our soul is our will. So the choices that we make. You have control over your will. You have control over the choices that you make. And so you can literally decide whether or not to entrust your choices to God as well. You can choose what God wants you to choose as you go through a trial. You can entrust it all to God. Listen, I get hurt all the time. All the time I get hurt. It's just the way I'm built. I'm a golden retriever, and so I'm I'm easily hurt. So you just need to know that about me. I get hurt, and when my feelings are hurt or when I feel at risk emotionally, what I do as I go through the process of processing what's happened, what I do is I entrust my soul to God. I say to God, God, you're going to have to do something with my soul. You're going to have to help me with what I feel. You're going to have to help me with what I think. You're going to have to help me with my choices. And so I'm just being honest with you. I have to go through this process all the time in order to keep my head above water and to stay in the game of relationships, right? And so this is the very kind of trust that Jesus used with his father when he was going through the greatest trial ever known to mankind, getting ready to take on the sin of the world. He was getting ready to take on the sin of the world, your sin and my sin. And when Jesus was on the cross getting ready to take on the sin of the world, there was a moment in time on that cross where he made the choice For what he was going to face to entrust his soul to his heavenly father. And as he was dying on the cross, he said to his father, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit or I entrust my soul. And it's the very same word that we use in this verse, the word for trust in the Greek. He entrusted his spirit to God on the cross. And that's what he wants us to do in our trials is to entrust our spirit into the hands of the heavenly, loving heavenly father who knows what we need in those moments. And it may feel like we're dying like it did to Jesus. And there may be some dying to ourselves in those moments. But Jesus says, if we'll do that, then God will bring about life and redemption and he'll be working in the dark just like he worked in the dark with jesus for those days that jesus trusted god in the trial and think about what what was happening in the darkness as jesus was dead not dead think about what wars were being won when jesus was in the darkness of death we were being multiplied 
The bulbs of our eternity were being fashioned under the dirt of darkness of what Jesus was going through for us. And then he pushes through the the dirt and the damage of his death and the church was born. We were born and now we get to see the beauty of of the flowers of the church as, as we are his bride. And he has created us out of the darkness and the damage of the greatest trial ever known to mankind, his death. And after the death came his resurrection. And out of his resurrection was born the church. And here we are today, the beauty of Christ through his bride, as we do our best to love each other through the trials of life. You know, this morning I'm so so happy that we get to celebrate Jesus this morning by remembering what he did for us. And I want to invite the worship team to come as, as I prepare you for that. But here's what I want you to remember about about what I just told you about Jesus is that Jesus Jesus wants us to trust him the way he trusted his father. Okay, that's the bottom line. And this is how he trusted his father, right? He gave his body, he gave his blood for us. And so as Christians, as followers of Christ, this is what Jesus wants us to do in response to the trials that we face. He wants us to come to the place in our life where we can say, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Or into, my, into your hands I, I entrust my soul. In the middle of this trial that I'm facing, Jesus, I know that what you produced for me on the cross, by your death and by your resurrection, I know that I have that same spirit living in me that raised you from the dead. And so I have the power to, in whatever trial I face, I have the power, because of you in me, to do something productive with this trial. To commit my life to you, to become stronger, to become better, to become more productive, to multiply myself under the surface of my life with the power of your Holy Spirit. God, there's nothing better than that. And then, yes, hopefully to one day bloom as well, right? To do it with gladness for who Jesus is and what he's done for us. So this morning, I want to invite you to come and pick up your bread and your juice body and the blood of Christ and just contemplate on the fact that what he did for us we can do for him take it back to your seat if you would and then I'll lead you through a time of taking communion together